0: Hello and welcome to Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Balloon Knots! Yes, balloon knots of all shapes and sizes. Today we'll be talking to C3POs. Balloon Knot! Yes, yes indeed. Very good, very good. Okay, here we go. And coming up after that, we'll have Dame Helen Mirrens. Balloon Knot, yes indeed. I hope you enjoy this show. Stay tuned. Oi, that was Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous Balloon Knots. That would be a great show, I would think, to have, in my opinion, a whole show about somebody's butthole. That would be fascinating. Matter of fact, I'm gonna start uh, pitching the sh- pitching this idea, because uh, I don't want to be catching. I'm I'm pitching, so I'm not catching. Anyway, contemplated a mad dash for UCLA this weekend, but I called it off at the last minute. I had tickets to the uh, Bruins and um, Ducks, Oregon and UCLA. It was their homecoming game. I had the tickets in my hand. But I was just going to go down for just like the day. Like down, leave 5 a.m., hit hard. And then uh, pick up the boy, Modesto, like 6.30-ish. Show up in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl by, let's say... 11.30, 11.30, find some parking, 12, you're in the game, 12.15, you sit in the seats, kickoffs, 12.30, game's three hours. After that, Bob's your uncle, we go catch a ferry for Catalina, and or we maybe even hang out a little and drive back that night, not out of the question. It was when my boy texted me Wednesday morning if we would be able to get back by 8.30 p.m. that night. For a quinceañera. I'm like, alright. I'm not going. So, that's the story. I call it off. So bummed. Looked like a good game too. 34-31. Oregon just squeaked by. They're ranked like 6th or 8th in the nation. But, whatever. So, as I was promptly explaining this, or summarizing this, kind of last minute cancellation to my my daughter down there I uh, went into a Target to get a, a I just decided to get a plug-in adapter for the damn car so that I can charge the phone and I'm calling her and I'm explaining this and that and uh, not that she cares but I was just seeing if she could had a chance if she could get the money back for tickets or whatever the case may be and I, not that that was a, 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 a oh, and then she'd would gone to the Phoebe Bridgers concert at the Greek theater, I was, and I'm like, what? Oh, my God. Like, that's a legendary theater. Um, a friend of hers uh, at school had two VIP tickets somehow, and all she wanted was a ride. So my daughter gave her a ride and got in VIP how sick is that so but as she's explaining all this to me I come out of Target and I swear to you I swear to you I came out and I heard the uh, outro theme the the closing song sequence to the incredible the TV series Incredible Hulk back in the 80s with Lou Ferrigno but it was being played on an accordion yeah And it sounded really good, but it was like, dun, 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 dun. You know that real sad piano in the end of Incredible Hulk when he fucks up the whole town and then he has to leave and hitchhike out of town and just kind of go on, because he just kind of wanders the earth, kind of like Kane from Kung Fu. Why was everybody wandering the earth back in the 80s like that? Anyway, so I swore he was playing the theme the closing theme to Incredible Hulk on an accordion but it sounded really good it sounded really festive it sounded kind of like more so like it would be like the kind of busking busker busking you'd hear in um, like more December you know kind of on a sidewalk or something you know something kind of like maybe a guy wearing like a top hat with a big scarf and a long trench coat you know and he's like playing an organ grinder or some some bullshit. Or like that scene in Scrooged when he's walking with his brother down the sidewalks in New York and there's a band out there playing uh, We Three Kings. But it was all jazz. And the buskers were actually Miles Davis and like David Sanborn and like Paul Schaefer, the band leader for David Letterman. And... (laughs) Bill Murray walks by, just goes, oh, great, great job, guys. Uh, rip off the rip off the tourists now. What, did you learn this song yesterday? <laughs> it's so fucking good. But anyway, that's what this guy sounded like on the accordion. It's fascinating. But I, uh, so as I left, this was over off of Sunrise Boulevard there. and I crossed over, I had to go over to the blood center there. I drove past the Sunrise Mall at... It's just, like, the saddest place ever. Because it used to be, like, the source of, like, all these fond memories, you know. Me in particular, for growing up, you know, I used to go there for, like, my Christmas shopping. And um, there was, like, a routine that my buddy and I... uh, It was usually my buddy Jeff, this Mormon, which I guess they celebrate Christmas, I think. I don't know. He was buying gifts, so... But we would show up to the mall... And then usually we'd kind of wander through, like, wine stocks, which is a, a store back in the day. But it was all very festive, very just packed. Like, you know, we're lucky to find a, spot, a parking spot, you know. Then we go in. First thing we do is we get, would get a famous Amos cookie. Like, they had whole fucking stand of, uh, like, all they sold was cookies. So you get a famous Amos cookie. We'd get a cookie, and then we'd just start, you know, doing our thing. Just doing all our shopping He he was the one that he, he and I had this thing for renting Like Hitchcock movies Like usually afterwards we would go Like rent a Hitchcock movie and watch that I don't know what it was We just got on this Hitchcock thing This is in high school And uh, But man it was so Just bizarre To see it, this The whole place, I mean the entire mall Was abandoned like, the, nothing in the parking lot. There's shops in there, though. I, I I did some Christmas shopping in there last year. and But it's just industrial blight now. It's just... You know, maybe they could turn it into, like, a homeless shelter. or, I don't know. I'm sure that the... It's not in the best interests of the commercial company that owns the property I'm sure to lose money but I'm sure they could work something out if the local politicians decided you know if they were passionate enough about it it's a big empty building it's the perfect thing you know there's a food court and they're all ready um then I anyway as I kept driving like I used to go there all the time for during Christmas I mean it, had, it triggered these memories like every time I drive by there it just triggers memories like this multi-sensory type ordeal you know you can kind of like you can smell like the when you you know walk inside there you can still smell like I don't know it seemed like when you lose an appendage and you still think it's there like you I don't know I didn't recall seeing any food going on in there but I you could still kind of smell like a like a popcorn smell pretzel stand smell thing anyway so after I drove past there, this 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 lane that kind of cuts through there, it goes out past this uh, apartment complex that I, I thought I, I would rent when I was in, I don't know, I was probably 19 or 20 at this point. Uh, no, it was 20, 21. I was working over at the salad place uh, doing the soups and stuff. And I thought, if I could just rent that place, all I'd need is a couch because I could just eat at work. And then I was Paid rent and I, I just need a couch. And I, it has brought you know all these crazy ass thoughts because it was all always around the same time of year, you know, like December ish. I was working over there wanting to rent a place, but it triggers a lot of these memories. And then you, you know, it, it inspires or recalls or forces you to recall, you know. Kind of parallel or other memories that coincide with it. Say, for example, like the inspiration for just a single couch right in the middle of the entire living room and nothing else in the entire apartment came from each December. I would ha- I would read Great Expectations, the Charles Dickens novel, and we had to read that like when I was a freshman, I think, in high school or sophomore maybe. And but it just happened to be in December we read it, and it seemed like a very December book, and so I still read like every December. It's bizarre, and it but it, images that it conjures up in my head uh, of the, this, this main character Pip is when he, um, you know when he inherits all this money, he's living, he's living in this, this place this residence in my head I picture it much like that apartment just kind of a big giant kind of floor-to-ceiling window maybe looking out over like this kind of green kind of tree-laden landscape you know with a lot of nice foliage and some nice maple leaf trees that like are bright orange during the fall you know before like right before November when they start to fall off the tree and but there's just just a couch in there, and that's how I envisioned it as I read it, and then that's how I wanted to kind of mimic it at the apartment that I would have ultimately rent, although I never did. I ended up renting a condo with a couple other people. That was that's another story for another time. So, but uh, I don't just the multi-century, multi-sensory memory thing is really fascinating, fascinating to me. And it was all, uh, let's see. And then after that, what had happened, what had happened was, um, among other traditions, by the way, you know, that I used to, like, uh, in seventh grade, we went to, um, we had a class uh, field trip go to we went to the Nutcracker, the ballet, and I was just blown away by the thing. So then that was another tradition that we carried on. I I went, I think most through most of high school and and a little bit even after that. Not not much. My my mom and my sister and all their kids, and then my uh, my my ex wife and then my daughters, they all make well, they used to make a pilgrimage to do that thing for another decade or so, which I never was a part of. I was just, I, I at that, it, I had, I didn't really want to be around any of that, like, um, but it was just the women they would go. Anyway, long story short, I didn't want to hang out with uh, anybody ever like that. <laughs> okay. Again, another story for another time. But getting back to that afternoon, see, that was, yeah, that was Friday. So then I took off. I, I was going to do my late, my late run to Modesto, then Merced, Manteca. So, so I was listening to Mark Maron's podcast and he was, hit had David Chang on there, the Korean chef. And he was talking about everything under the sun and, uh, but he, mentioned this guy, um, Heston Blumenthal. And uh, right away, I keyed into that. I'm like, oh, shit, I'll bet that's a pretty fascinating chef. And sure enough, he's an English chef. And his restaurant won the best restaurant in the world. Um, let's see, gosh, probably back in the, oh, I don't know, 2008, maybe. Uh, the Fat Duck In Bray, England um, And in just a little town It was an old pub That he bought And then turned it into The restaurant The Fat Duck So And then it became a, 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 a And what was really interesting What what really made me Key in on this guy Was the way that David Chang Explained that he uh, Is Well his restaurant Being the Winning the best, the number one restaurant in the world one year. He came from no culinary background. And matter of fact, one of the jobs he had before he just did like a bunch of odd jobs. And one of them, he was a repo man, which was like fascinating to go from a repo man to just buying a restaurant and then becoming the best chef in the world. Okay, with no formal training. Got gotcha. you. But what's really fascinating about the guy is that uh, he. Or kind of reinvent, or he. Again, they kind of give him this moniker, of which they. I guess the best way to describe it would be say like a. Um, the pioneer of like multisensory cooking, food pairing, and you know flavor encapsulation, which is all what a lot of these guys try to do and they've always got these like little weird misters and stuff like that they're you know they're capturing scents and they're you know blowing that aroma in on and around their dishes and but he i mean he came to public attention with unusual recipes like bacon and egg ice cream and snail porridge like just but so I'm like, okay, this this guy sounds pretty i don't know. let's see what's going on." So I pulled up a couple a couple of podcast interviews, and this dude's this dude the real deal um he it, it is all about um multisensory cooking, like basically he wants to kind of conjure up memories, okay. Much in the way, like, when I drove past the Sunrise Mall, like, you just, it triggers a memory. And so an example he was using was, um, like, when you get the variety pack of, say, like, the small cereal boxes, each box has probably a different memory, corresponds to a different person or a different uh, experience through, like, you know all brand versus, say, cornflakes, You know, you're going to react differently. So, uh... So that's what, you know... I don't know if the other guys try this. I don't know if Red Zeppi tries this shit or what. I mean, I would imagine they're trying to provoke a reaction, but the way this guy does it is kind of... It's kind of a mind fuck. It's really cool. For one thing, for example, like, the way he'll name a dish um... That will conjure up the notion that it might be sweet, but it'll turn out to be salty. So it enhances that the saltiness of it. Instead of being aware that it's probably a salty dish, and then when you have it, it's not as it's not as pronounced because you expect it. Uh, see another trick that he, uh, I don't know if he invented this or not, but he said, take a glass of wine put it in your right hand, or whatever hand you use to drink with, okay? Then on a notepad, write the word wine in rounded letters. So there's no, there are no edges to any portion of each four letters, okay? It's kind of a bubbly, maybe a bubbly rounded look. And then write the word wine again in nothing but straight, sharpened letters. So there is a point in a corner on everyone and it's jarring. Now with that with that hand that you use to drink wine routinely oh you know, have a sip of wine, then with when you're with your other hand, flip over the bubbly version of the word wine, and it will conjure up a rounded flavor of the wine. It'll force your brain into thinking it's a very well-rounded, you know, uh, palate or flavor. Now flip that back over and go to the one that's straight and then flip that over and look at it. And when you look at it and then you take another sip, you're going to feel like now you experience sharpness that the same wine you were drinking out of is now sharp so that it's kind of a, it's, I don't know it's kind of fascinating stuff it could be it's like a bit of a mind fuck but it's also kind of a it's a way to kind of really pinpoint the flavors or uh, identify them or conjure them up or exp- really vividly experience them so what's really interesting is like so this interviewer on the podcast was saying um she goes, uh, you, because they're both English, the interviewer and then he's English as well. And I, uh, she goes, you, you didn't pass your chemistry, your A, your, what level was it? A level, yeah, I think it was your A level chemistry, like you flunked out of me. He said, yeah. He goes, she goes, but you were awarded a, it's an honor of, of her royal. It's kind of a. He's not a knight, but they call it the. Uh, it's like an OBE, which is an honorary member of the Royal Society, okay? And he's regarded as one of the top, out of 170, out of the top 175 scientific, influential minds in the world, he is, he is one of them. And he, he failed chemistry. So, but it's just through the uh, it's through the. experimentation, I guess, or the boldness or innovation or trial and error that this guy was just, fa- just fascinating. It's fascinating stuff. So, I don't know. I became an admirer already. So, I'm going to be looking at more interviews with this guy. He's just um, going to be from a repo man to the best chef in the world to being considered one of the most one of the top 175 most influential scientific minds in the world (laughs) like okay gotcha that makes sense so so i yeah i was just hyped up i get you know that gets my endorphins going man like that's my dope that's my dopamine and so i was reading about it this morning And so I got inspired and I thought to myself, well, uh, should I, is there a way to kind of parlay this into, into today's podcast? And in a way it was, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of like, basically, there is um, a fascination with me with... Um, just the way our minds work And like I was tripping out Like I was gonna Start off with like A take on the s- same DNA How we have the same Like my son and I When we were gonna jam down To UCLA Like it was I was gonna be I was gonna be You know Talk about Deoxyribonucleic acid DNA And how he 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 has his own uh, weird ass adventures that he's always going to like the mall or some bullshit like I used to do and um even when he was like really small like when he was like 6 you know he'd be, he learned how to like do backflips and stuff and so he'd have like neighbor kids over like all the mattresses would be taken off of all the beds in the house and he'd line them up throughout the house, and, like, you'd see... this And this was all kind of told to me secondhand uh, by Chloe, but uh, I can picture it happening. Like, just the neighbor kid's, like, there's some random four-year-old just standing in the living room waiting for him to, like, come flying out of one of the rooms on one of the mattresses to do some kind of crazy-ass backflip for the whole neighborhood. So, consequently, it made perfect sense when I... Text him, like, hey, man, you think you can... You want to go down and back in one day to UCLA? And he's like, is that even possible? (laughs) Like, he doesn't even know. He has no idea. Like, yeah. He's like, okay, hell yeah. Down. Like, so we're in sync. We're in lockstep. So the the commonality of, you know... (laughs) It's just... (laughs) Because he's going to go to a quinceañera. He wants to go to... So that's when it, the whole thing kind of fell apart is when he's texting me if we can get back by 8.30. Like, okay, now you're, now you're out of your mind, okay? But I get it. To go to a quinceañera, okay? He's going to a quinceañera. So... And I used to do weird shit like that, too. Like, I used to... My parents... I I don't know how, like... Back in the day, like, before there were cell phones or navigation... I used to just take off for races, you know? I'd go to, like... I'd go to Tahoe and just... I was part of like this big relay around the lake, like the 72, it's a 72 mile relay, kind of much in like the Japanese Ekadon style relay where you wear the sash and then you compete against other teams and a, and then you hand off each, each guy runs like a different leg, like, like the Ekadon, the American Ekadon that they did in New York was like one guy runs a 12K, one guy runs a 10K, one guy runs an 8K, one guy, I think one guy runs a 5K or it's all through the city and this was the same deal only it was around the entire lake tahoe so i just took off you know i just hopped out of a vw rabbit just no suspension with the battery cables rotting off the, you know the battery <laughs> and i'd take off and we would uh i would it was a i mean it was a christian outfit i don't know maybe that's what comforted my parents who knows but, but I had no phone, they had no contact. If I made it back, you know, we just rolled the dice. So that's what my son's kinda of, he's kinda of like that too, you know. He's take off. Always getting his ass chewed, you know. I have to be home by eight, gets home at eight thirty from a football game or the mall or god knows what, some hike at Knights Ferry. So But that connection, see, I haven't lived with him for over ten years. So there's absolutely no, like, you know, I don't call him up and instruct him on any of that. It's just all done by, in utero, it's just a carryover DNA. So the whole multisensory thing fascinates me. The whole idea of, even beyond that, just the notion, like, I used to tell my lady about, like, how... You know, when you go to places like Half Moon Bay, that there's, um, you can just sense like there's a vibe there. Like, like nobody seems upset about anything. Everybody's just chill. Like, and it's because you're by the ocean, obviously. And the same with like the, you know, up in parts of the mountains. And you know, you go up in Colorado, way up there, like in the mountains, people just chill. They're, you know they come back from a hike they just got maybe they're kayaking at the river or they went to a national park like there's no reason to get worked up so you your sensory when you when you're in and around beauty it has a way to mark itself psychologically with you so so then we draw from those sensories those the multi-sensory, the taste, the touch, the smell, the vibe. And it's fascinating. I think all that stuff's fascinating. So, so yeah. Heston Blumenthal. He's a, he's a little shaved-headed, 5'7", little runt-looking guy, but he looks like a badass. And uh, anybody can make snail porridge and uh, get somebody to pay a couple hundred bucks for it cool my book so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to cut over to the conversation I had following this morning's discovery and then reading a little bit about kind of this book Lost Connections by this guy Johan Hari who's he's, uh, he's, another Brit- he's another British guy who uh, is a is a really he's, it's, a good, it's a good read um, but his whole take on kind of our battle with depression and, um, you know, anxiety and, and why you're depressed it has a lot to do with your environment. It's, it's, the connection is the environment, you know. I mean, you go to places like, I, mean, I guarantee you, you go to Yuba City, those people are not happy there, okay? I mean, I was born there. Do I look happy? <laughs> so, there's just because there's not, unfortunately, there's no beauty around there. Like when I was yapping about the Crumb documentary, one of the closing sequences, he 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 just had enough of American society and all its quote unquote progress, right? And so he, at the end of the documentary, he had hand drawn. Basically, this cartoon like you'd draw a picture on each page of a of a of a book, right? And then you'd flip through the book and it would you know, create like an animated thing. Each picture is showing this the next stage of what you're trying to animate. You know. And uh so the original it began with like a little farmhouse on a country row, wood fence trees everywhere and they, as it progressed it, you know you see like the fence become like a aluminum fence there's more telephone wires there's more power cables running all of a sudden there's like all of a sudden there's like more traffic then all of a sudden there's a train train tracks and you start seeing more you know you start losing sight of the farmhouse and all of a sudden like commercial buildings start popping up and then a gas station and then more overhead cables, power cables, phone cables, fiber optic cables fast food signs everywhere and it was just really interesting and sad at the same time and so he yeah, so that was, uh, so he just he'd had enough and um so that, that... I get it. And... Um, so you But your environment has a lot to do with... When you're stuck in that... Hell hole of just... Looking at power cables and fast food and gas stations and... Smog and pollution, you know. You're not happy. You know? Or places where there's just nothing going on. You just, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing visually stimulating. There's nothing sensor, Sensor sensorily, sensorily, or sensory stimulation. There's no sensory stimulation. And those people, it's very much reflected in it. So the depression has very much to do with the environment as well. Um there's the battle you know the, the, the debate between chemically versus environment or situation and he goes he goes through pretty ostensibly through the book but uh, but a lot of that has to do with your, yeah your sensory uh, re- reactions uh, that uh, encompass your food as well as your day to day as well as how you talk to people how you relate to people it's all one big motion. It's all connected. And that's what I thought was fascinating. But, so I'm going to segue into this morning's interview with my lady. She reluctantly, <laughs> she reluctantly gave in. And uh, she sounds a little muffled in the beginning because she's hiding her mouth behind her blanket. <laughs> so bear with me. And here comes the, here comes the interview about all this, all this shit that I've been talking about. All right, love. Tell me what makes you happy.
1: No drama. <clears throat>
0: Just no drama?
1: Yeah, that makes kids so safe.
0: Yeah, well, we all want that. But what makes you happy? Like, if you just, if you lived in a bubble, in a vacuum, in a in a place that just, everything else was, like, that was taken care of, you know? You were like, you knew that kids were all right. Nobody was going to create any drama. Nobody poking at you manipulating you. Sunday morning, Sunday mornings—they make you happy.
1: Sunday, I do like Sundays.
0: It's interesting, huh? There's a kind of a vibe, a Sunday vibe, huh? Just lay in bed, just kind of. I have to ask you three questions.
1: What?
0: What makes you happy? What's your life like, and what do you like to eat? So, I can't right <laughs> now. When can you?
1: <laughs> Not right now.
0: <laughs> There's got to be something, though, that you when you hear it, you're like, and they say, like, okay, we're going to go to Apple Hill and you get on. You know, something like that. Like, I like going to
1: the ocean, I haven't been in a long time. And I like eating, um, fish and shrimp and lobster or crab or something when I'm by the ocean. Yeah. That does make me really happy. Yeah.
0: Just going to the ocean?
1: Yeah. Eating fish? Or in the mountains. drive driving the mountains.
0: That book I'm reading, um. Was it loose connections? Is that what it's called?
1: Uh-huh, something like that. Lost connections. Lost connections. <clears throat>
0: That's kind of where he's going with everything, because he's talking about all those double-blind studies with the, uh, uh, well, particularly the antidepressants, you know. And then that how that, the drug companies they can, basically they have, they, finance their own. Studies. Mm-hmm. And then they get a thousand people to take these blind studies right and then there's kind of an intermediary like a what this guy calls a referee you know like a a objective
1: Perspective.
0: perspective right or maybe more so a mediator like an official person that's going to quantify the results so you got a thousand people and like so 998 of them Say nothing, you know, they didn't experience any change over like a month, all right? But if two, even one, say that they felt a little better, Mm -hmm. they're going to run with that information. Really? Yeah, and then the, here's the the kicker. So, all the people, you know, they're getting paid like 75 bucks to do this test, right? And it's coming from the drug company that's testing the product. You know who's paying the referee? The, the drug, drug company. company. Yes. So if one or two people out of a thousand people say they experienced a subtle difference in the antidepressant, they're going to say, has effective results. But also may cause internal bleeding. Your head might right. Right. explode. You know, you might be bleeding through your eyeballs. But you'll feel better. So, so where to ultimately... Is going with is the environment that you're around, right? Remember it? Remember that remember when we listened to the author talk about you know, Rat Park and all that? Yeah. Well that's where he's going with that. So it makes perfect sense anyway. That's where I'm going with that. Is like it makes perfect sense that we see the mountains, we feel comfort. We see the ocean, we feel comfort, right? Isn't that amazing? What
1: would make me really happy is if, um, honestly, if I had, like, a place in the mountains or something to where I knew that I wouldn't ever lose my house and just a a place to always go home to, you know, Mm -hmm. and not have to work so hard for it.
0: That'd be cool. Okay, so setting an like, environment is going to obviously reap reap its benefits visually and and uh, kind of in your own psyche you feel comfort right, but while you're there, what's what what would what would you?
1: I would still work, but I, but I feel like I would think be able to think more clearly. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not a city girl at all. I belong somewhere out in the country or in the mountains with faraway neighbors.
0: What is it about the mountains? What do you think it is, you personally?
1: Um, what I enjoy the the most is what I enjoy the most is um like the fresh air.
0: Well, there is, an, uh, there is an effect that i you know, like pine forests have on you. Hmm. There's something that, uh, an effect that I, let me see if I can find it. Something to do with the, uh, there's like a pheromone, not a pheromone, but like a, um, uh, what is it called? like a scent that it gives off Ooh. the pine needles that does something to your brain it rewires really? yeah it rewires I believe it let's see if I still have that thing Pan for But the uh, but the ocean seems to have the same effect. Oh, okay. Here you go. So I believe it. Um, I know this is about uh, the reasons your lungs feel refreshed when walking through a pine forest is because of an, an anti-inflammatory compound called uh, apenine, found in conifers. It's used as a bronchio uh, bronchodilator in the treatment of asthma and uh, abundantly present in marijuana so it's got a kind of a pothead effect (laughs) that's interesting it is so that's uh, maybe that I mean obviously is a contributing factor to
1: it just feels like a brand new place when you're in the mountains like
0: when I was little and I would go to the forest I would feel like uh, it uh, was a uh, st- like a, a probiotic. Like it made me I don't know It was the air was so different that it activated my bowels.
1: <laughs> no it didn't.
0: Well it's a, yeah like a probiotic. Oh
1: my gosh that's weird.
0: Yeah. So it has this f- interesting effect. But there's something that, yeah there's something to do with
1: See that's why people need to be at the mountains.
0: Thought recognition, or or, or uh, memory, uh, memory uh, recognition, or uh, memory stimuli. So when you see a mountain, you know or it probably has the same effect. Like if you're just looking, if you're not there, but you see the mountain, like if you're driving up to Tahoe, say, or you're driving, you know, you're. But dri- you
1: know you're going to get to it. But so you know you're going
0: to get to it. So it tri- yeah, the
1: anticipation
0: is like it triggers a stimuli. Yeah and then the ocean there's got to be there's got to be a relation with uh, the salt water or or this or the you know because they say like the moon the moon has there's something there's something I don't know what it's called but there's an actual scientific term where the moon uh, affects the tides right? Yeah. But it also affects like menstrual cycles like there's all you know Weird. All all kinds of strange things like that. So it must have some kind of, I don't know, indirect link to what the moon maybe does to the water or the ocean or the body of water that in turn does something to your own mental hmm. uh, solitude or something. So, so the mountains, the ocean... That makes you happy if you didn't have those what if you didn't have those what would you what would make you happy
1: just knowing I have comfort in just knowing that they are there, but I don't know I've not been put in a position to where I got to figure out the next thing that would make me happy you know
0: it's going to be interesting because you know like I was telling you last night about in the year twenty fifty when there won't be enough protein to. Satisfy the entire planet, what's going to happen with our feelings towards nature and stuff like that because it's always going to be more depleted. we're going to be
1: yeah.
0: you, you know our ecosystem's already kind of out of whack you know they're in, they're reintroducing wolves to Colorado right now because of their their ecosystems out of whack. They're being overrun by. Uh, I want to say like. Some type of deer. Hmm. That are over foraging, so they're reintroducing wolves. So that's, you know.
1: Well. Wow.
0: You know we've taken it upon ourselves as human beings to dictate what nature should do, right?
1: Yeah, we shouldn't.
0: You know, with the whole cane toad situation going on in Australia, it's been there forever. You
1: know what I was just reading is, um, in, um, oh, what was the place called? I I was just reading how all the poachers, you know, they killed like 90% of the elephants. And now the female elephants, for some reason, they think it's, um, they think it's like, um, in response to all the poaching, A lot of them are being born now without tusks because they've been hunted down so much that they um, are keeping track of them and, and they don't know if they think it has to do with the poaching, like the elephants have adjusted or something. It was kind of an interesting story. It was, um, let me see. It was, um, of course it was in a different country.
0: So what, a, I wonder why, I wonder what it has to do with the over poaching.
1: Just like it? they said they, it, they like evolutionary adapted to it. Tuskless elephants escape poachers but may evolve new problems.
0: Oh, the poachers are getting them for the ivory.
1: Yes. And now some of the female elephants are being born without tusks at all. Whoa! Yeah, so I was just reading about that.
0: That's wild.
1: Yeah, they don't know. They said in really small animals and insects and stuff like a moth can make itself more browner for whatever defense mechanism it has, right? Mm-hmm. And little animals like that can change, but or little insects, but they don't understand how this major thing of, like, not having tusks, which is so big and so it didn't take years and years to do, you know, mm-hmm. or to um, evolutionize or whatever. They don't understand how it. they've adapted so quick um, to prevent poaching.
0: Well, coyotes, when they... Um, I think I told you this before, but when you hear them howl at night, like, if they lose one of their pack Mm -hmm. they call out and that call out is like some weird hormonal like uh wild yelp of sorts that will trigger the female to uh have more coyotes in their litter to replace the ones that they love really Mm mm-hmm
1: It's in Mozambique Mozambique Mozambique
0: Whoa Okay So what do you like to eat? (laughs) (laughs) What would be the perfect meal To sit down to?
1: Crab,
0: crab. Yeah, I like it. I like that. I like that answer. Just the simplicity.
1: Crab and lemon juice.
0: Crab and lemon juice.
1: That'd be my favorite meal. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah, I just don't get to eat it enough. <clears throat> what do you like? Tortilla and cheese. <laughs>
0: Uh, no, but boy, wouldn't that be a? Wouldn't that be the biggest put on if you opened a restaurant based on that? Because people would people would show up
1: for quesadillas.
0: Sure. <clears throat> uh something. Uh, something. There's uh, something really. Uh, Appealing just in different variations of just bread and cheese, yeah. The basics, you know, that's something that's just been a staple for forever, huh? I mean, probably since
1: there was tortillas.
0: Well, I mean, not just tortillas, but like just the the starch itself, you know, some form of starch. Oh, like real bread. Like a bread, yeah, like a loaf of bread that was made. I mean, you
1: know, that was what really fed people back then. In the in the poor times you know was like a loaf of bread,
0: just the base you know, yeah, just the super basics like I remember seeing like my grandmother had a picture of a on her wall in her house of a of an older guy who had kind of was kneel or he was kind of hunched over in prayer on a, at a table with just and there was like a
1: left of bread and butter
0: yeah no no cheese cheese, yeah and the bread I think if I remember right the loaf had been like cut in half you know so yeah just but the real bit was a real simple picture you know and you just you look at it and you're you're kind of like I'll bet this guy just leads the most simplest life you know right but back in the day even Probably even in contemporary settings, you know, in rural parts of wherever you're at, if it's here or if it's in France, you know, like, that's just what you do is you live off, like, cause cheese is just a fungus. It's a bacteria. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Yeah,
1: it has to, yeah.
0: And so somebody, (laughs) some old farmer, some dude had an old barn and some cows just left some milk in a bucket and it you know was right. taken over by bacteria and then it formed some strange thing and they're like I'm gonna eat that <laughs> and then like they discovered like wow that that's kinda good really? oh shit I'll bet this goes good with cheese or with the for a fucking slice of bread and you could live off that
1: I mean you could
0: you could you know the dairy the fats the, you know there's probably trace amounts of protein in there somewhere So any variation of that, you know, because you, I mean, look at the way you can vary, you know, you can create a variety if if you want to make a quesadilla or an enchilada or a pizza or a freaking sandwich or a fuck, you know, mm-hmm. just look at all the ways that, that. So. Maybe not one specific meal, but just those two staples: bread and cheese. Shit, I mean, you could literally throw a loaf of bread, like a baguette, in your backpack and a piece of cheese, because. Why does it need refrigeration? Yeah. Does it? No. It doesn't. You just throw that in your backpack and you just take off. Go to the woods. You'd be fine. Isn't that wild. Yeah. All right, mate. All right. That's the bloody show, mate. Anyway, I wanted to say one other last thing. I did. I, I I wanted to give a shout out to Matthew Sweet, whose album Girlfriend came out 30 years ago this month. And I always get they, I always get them confused with Matthew Sweet with between Matthew Sweet and um, Matthew um, Stafford, the quarterback for the Rams. They look the same. They're the same guy. They just they just switch their last names. You know, it's like Clark Kent putting on you know those glasses. They're the same guy. Matthew Sweet and Matthew Stafford are the same guy. Anyway, that's the show for you. I'll talk at you later. you, baby.